well. It's a good day for y'all. Y'all finally get rid of us. If y'all don't know, my wife and I are moving. Uh, our house closes April 30th, and we're going and starting a new church up in, um, up in Georgia. And uh, so y'all are all more than welcome to move with us. You can't all live with us, although we do have a pretty nice basement there. Um, but we can get at least half y'all in there. The other half, we'll just find another house for y'all. Um, so, uh, but hey, you know, I, I wanted to, um, you know, tonight I'm not going to, I'm just going to share six things with y'all um, that I want to leave with you. And uh, it could have been less, it could have been a lot more. Um, it was just the six things that came to me. I was like, I'm just going to share my heart tonight. The six things I want to leave them with, or the things I want to leave them with, what are the things that just naturally flow out of me? And these are the six things that came. If I had time to think, I could probably come up with a lot more profound stuff, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so let me just say as we start, um, you know, we've been, I've been here, you know, Randall and I and the kids have been here five years. Our daughter Sarah was born here. Anna Catherine, the oldest, was seven months old when we moved here, and she started walking. I told our leadership team, she started walking the second day we were here. And, um, and so this has literally become home for us, um, that, that when we leave, um, you know, we're not excited about leaving, honestly. I'm not excited about leaving college ministry. Um, uh, I, you know, adults are great, and the Blonics are here. I love people their age, but I don't <laughs> <laughs> They're like in their like early 30s, right? Something like that. And and uh, this is Matt's parents over here. Give them props. For, for just, uh. um, but yeah, I've only I've only known college ministry for the last 16 years, and um, and it, I'll be honest with you, it's probably a lot more fun working with y'all uh, than anybody than any other group in the world. Um, and so I, it's with a heavy heart, honestly, that I that we leave college ministry. And, um, and so I just want to say thank you all for being involved at Wesley. Uh, thank you all for, for coming and sitting here and, and, and letting me bore you. I've seen some of you fall asleep. Good job. And I hope I was a good, you know, numbing relaxer for you so you could do that. And, um, but we are, um, so it's with heavy heart we leave. But we, we, we are excited about what God has for us. And, and we would honestly continue to cherish your prayers uh, we'd need it, honestly. I'm scared to death, y'all, uh, honestly. I, you think I say that because I'm supposed to, not I really am scared to death about leaving and going and doing this thing. And, and um, I mean, the other day I was just praying. I was like, Lord, really, God, if you don't show up in this thing, I'm screwed. I mean, honestly, it's like uh, it's, we're, we're in serious crap problem here. So, uh, so anyway, we would really, really appreciate y'all praying for us. Um, that, that I don't blow it. So, um, and you think I'm just saying that, I really mean it. Um, so, um, but I want to, so here are the six things I want to give y'all tonight is, um, well, I'm not, let me just say something, something else. Uh, Andy Lowry will be coming in. I, I, Andy's going to be here next, next Tuesday night. And so I want all of y'all to come and, and to meet him, um, say hey to him. He's a lot, he's a lot better looking than I am, which is good. And, uh, and, and, and I think that, um, I think they're going to like him. Andy, uh, actually, I've known Andy for a long time. We were at Georgia together. We were at Wesley there at Georgia together. We graduated. Uh, well, he was on the four-year plan. I was five-year plan. Um, and so he graduated a year before I did. Um, but great guy. Uh, same type of DNA. I don't think it's going to be a hard transition for you, at least in the spiritual, to, um, uh, to have, that, have that transition over to him. So, uh, so I'm excited for you all um, about Andy coming and, and his wife Tara, and their three their three kids, two boys and little girls. So, so come meet him next week and be nice to him. All right. The first thing I want to say to y'all tonight. This is kind of the umbrella for everything else. Um, but I want to leave with y'all. I want to encourage y'all with. And the first thing is this: I don't ever want you to lose sight of your first love. We live in a country. In a, in a, we live in a country that's so fast-paced, and we live in a church that has embraced the, this American model of working 60 hours a week and thinking that's godly to the point that they've actually lost their first love. I believe 90% of the church, and I would, I, that's my opinion, but it's my belief, I believe 90% of the church and those who are pastoring churches have actually, have actually lost their first love. They've, they've become very confused of what it means 
to, to, to love God and to serve him. I believe they've lost touch and lost sight of that. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, I'm just going to read this to you from the message. John speaking on behalf of Jesus, saying this, saying this to the church there. He says, I see what you've done, your hard, hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you, would, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out. Does that sound like the American church? Does that sound like the American model? Work hard, earn it. But you walked away from your first love. Why? Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? It's a Lucifer fall, as Satan falling from heaven. Turn back, recover your dear early love. Now, if you've been around Wesley long enough, you know I talk about the love of God all the time and about being in relationship with him. And I want to say to you tonight that I believe as a church that this is the model that we live under here. This idea of hard work and, and, and we use all these marketing plans and all this stuff to figure out how to make stuff happen. We are really good in the church about getting people in without ever inviting Jesus in. We have forgotten our first love. And let me say to you tonight, hear me well, you cannot afford to lose your first love. You cannot afford to do that. You have to stay connected, Joel. You cannot fall away. You cannot let life get in the way of you knowing Jesus and hearing his voice and walking with him every day. Don't let it happen, please. I'm not here to kick you in the butt. And I need you, and God was calling, and I want you to, and he wants you to, to not lose the passion of your first love. Have you fallen asleep? Have you put duty before love? Have you put action before passion? The reality of our relationship with God is that Yes, we have things we're called to do, but those duties, those things are only supposed to be birthed out of a passionate desire to serve the one that we love. But we don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about serving out of passion. We don't. We don't wake up in the morning and say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to, can't wait to serve Jesus today because I'm so in love with him. I can't wait to see what he wants me to do. I see what you've done, your hard, hard work, the way that you kill yourself to produce something of value, your refusal to quit. I know that you cannot stomach evil. Man, you look at sin and you say, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to do this bad type of thing. And God says, but you've walked away from your first love. There's no passion in your action. There's no birth from something deep? Are you passionate in your relationship with Jesus? Or do you get tired and frustrated easily in being a Christian? Do you get frustrated? You're like, God, I wish I didn't have to be a Christian because life would be a whole lot easier. It'd be a whole lot more fun. Then friends, you have lost sight of your first love and you may not have actually known Jesus in the fullest sense ever. Because in the fullest sense ever of knowing your first love, there is this passion that produces action. And you need to question every day. Every day, are you in pursuit of your first love or have you allowed something else to get in your way? A person, a relationship, a thing, an object. Don't brush that aside. I've watched some of your faces and I know you. You are like, ooh, I don't really like that. I'm going to push it over to the side. You don't have time. You don't have time to push that to the side, y'all. You don't have the time. Your life is but a vapor. Here one moment and gone the next. Please don't say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. That's crap. Second thing, 
Learn how to hear God's voice. My passion when I speak and whenever I go anywhere, my first thing I think about speaking about is hearing God's voice because it's the thing that I know births passion. If, you, have, if you've only ever read your Bible and been told what to believe about Jesus, then all you have is a mental assent with no actual heart knowledge. Heart knowledge begins the moment you say, Jesus, will you speak to me? And then you wait and you listen until you hear him. There's something outrageous about the moment that the voice of God breaks into your head, into your heart, and you recognize, wow, there's something different about that voice that just popped up. I think that was Jesus. And all of a sudden, something comes alive in you. And I want to say to you that you need to take time and listen because Jesus is more excited about speaking than you are about listening. And he's not sitting in heaven saying, well, I don't know if I'm going to speak to her today. I think I'm going to wait five years. He doesn't pick his people on earth. He says, well, I'm going to speak to this person but not this person. He doesn't do that. He's no respecters of persons. He says, I'm going to speak to all because all are my children. They are my sheep, according to John 10. It's like he says, my sheep will hear my voice. They will know my voice and they will follow me. Learn. Take time to listen. Ask him to speak. How do I do that, Steve? Just sit still. Just sit still for like 15 minutes every day for a month and just say, God, speak to me today. And listen. He'll do it. Learn how to hear his voice. It will change your life forever. It will birth this passion. It's because hearing God is all about being in relationship, a relationship that is growing and moving forward, not static and not stationary. It's a, it's a relationship of growth, birth, out of this listening and communication with one another. The third thing is do not settle. Do not settle for mediocrity. God did not send you here to Wesley for you to become the next Sunday Christian and live a boring life of mediocrity. That you just say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, everything's fine in my life. And you could say, the question is this, are you further along today than you were yesterday? Are you in a different place today than you were a year ago? And if you can say, I don't think that I am, then you're settling for mediocrity. If you're struggling with the same sins that you've been struggling with your entire life, then you're settling for mediocrity. Mediocrity is not, is not an option it's been interesting. If you know anything about the church world, you know that the world, uh, that one of the, the most um, influential churches in the nation is Willow Creek. How many of you ever heard of Willow Creek Church up in Chicago? It's this massive, massive church. And, and every other church in America uh, wants to be like it. They've got tens of thousands of people, and they have all this stuff going on, these incredible programs. I mean, they'll, they will sell you a book any day to tell you how to do stuff and how to grow your church. And back in, back in 07, sometime in the summer, maybe in October, Bill Hybels, the pastor, the leader of the church, came out and said, we've been in a process for the last several years of doing research to see if our church is actually effective. To see if the programs that we're doing are actually growing people in the relationship with Jesus. Now you need to know, seriously, this church, I mean, it is the church. Everybody goes. They have these little, that is like seminars where thousands of people will like go from like on an off-site campus and they will connect and do this live video feed of this conference. I mean, this is, this is like the mega church. They've been doing church for 30 years and everyone's like, if we could only be like Willow Creek. And I want you to hear what he said after the research came out. Hybels confesses this. He says, you know what? We made a mistake. 
What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians is this. We should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. What he's saying is that not that we're spoon-feeding them, but they're learning how to grow on their own because they're not growing. He says we should have gotten people, taught people how to read their Bible between services, how to do spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. And the writer of the article who was talking to says this, in other words, spiritual growth doesn't happen best by becoming dependent on elaborate church programs, but through the age-old spiritual practices of prayer, Bible reading, and through effective relationships. What I want you to see is this. There's this church who everybody says they're doing the right thing. The pastor looked at it and says, mediocrity is not an option. In fact, we have missed it. In churches like us who would call themselves seeker-sensitive, they've missed it too. And if they don't change, then, we, then they're going to be raising up a bunch of, of weak, limp-wristed Christians who can't do anything to bring the kingdom to the world. Change. Mature. Grow up. That's what he's saying. We are doing a horrible job of growing people. I love it because here is a guy who everyone looks up to, who everyone's inviting to come to their church and do this thing. He probably gets paid tens of thousands of dollars to come speak for one hour. And he says, listen, for the last 30 years, we've missed it. And we've been completely wrong. And if we don't change, God will judge us. Mediocrity is not an option. And it's not an option for you. Paul says this in Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this place of maturity. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What's Paul saying? He's saying this, listen, your life is like this race. And I'm telling you, if you're going to run the race, then run the race as if you're going to win it. When your body is screaming at you, stop, stop, you are killing us. He's saying, don't listen to your body. Don't listen to that part of your mind that says, don't press on. You have to keep on pressing because you're in a race and you have to run as if you're to win the prize. Give everything you've got because the relationship you have with Jesus will call you to that. Because a relationship with Jesus as mediocrity is not an option. You were called to the depths of places and to ask me to do incredible things. Listen, if you're not believing God for you to raise somebody from the dead, then you're shooting too low. Do you believe God will use you to raise someone from the dead who's died? If you don't believe that, then you believe the lie. He's called each and every one of you to find that person who is either spiritually dying and say, Jesus, fight for them, God. Set them free. God will call you to take some of you in here. A day will come when you will raise someone physically from the dead. It's not an option. Jesus did it. His disciples did it. Why don't you think he won't do it today? Do you actually think that you can do that? Do you think that's for somebody else? You're not spiritually deep enough. Then you're believing a lie of mediocrity. I don't give my life to ministry to tell people, live a life of mediocrity. You don't have to do anything important in your life. Just have a good family and, and be a good Christian and be nice to your neighbors and everything will be okay. No, I'm telling you, raise the dead. Believe God for healing and doing miracles. Believe him for the unbelievable because he's a God who does the unbelievable. He says, that's just natural to me. Do it. Don't believe the lie of mediocrity. And don't let church tell you that mediocrity is okay. It's not. God is calling you into dead churches to bring life. And they're going to run you out. Because they're going to, you're going to tell them, listen, we can pray and believe, and God will actually do stuff. And they say, we don't do that here anymore. And it says, then you're not the church. Because the church are a people who are believing God. For the supernatural. And I'm not going to be satisfied till I see it. 
And I'm going to call other people to that. Do not give in to mediocrity. You must be with Jesus. You must spend time in the Word. You must pray. And you must be in relationship with people who will encourage you and press you on to greatness. If you are not surrounding yourselves with at least some people who are pressing you on to greatness, then find those people. Find them. Find people. Find spiritual fathers and mothers who are so far above you that you just want to sit at their feet and listen to them talk all day long. Mediocrity is not an option for you. Listen. Mediocrity is not an option for you, Scotty. It's not. It's not. Caitlin, it's not. Mediocrity is not an option. All of you in this room, it is not an option. Fourth, never, in the process of your life, never, ever give up. Never. You live in a culture, y'all, who says if it's not comfortable, then you don't have to do it. Well, this doesn't feel good anymore. I don't want to do that. Never ever give up. Some of you have heard, there's a message that Winston Churchill gave back in October 29th, 1941, this prep school in London called Harrow School. They were in the throes of of World War II. And he had spoken at this school 10 months prior. And they were in the midst of literally, in the beginning of of his speech, he talks about saying this, he's like, listen, all of you know what we've been under, the duress we've been under as a country. Germany has been attacking us, and we didn't have the power, we didn't have the army to withstand it. We didn't have the means to actually attack against them. We didn't have anything that we needed, but you know that we have fought with everything that we have. And he goes on to say this, but for everyone, surely, what we have gone through in this period, I'm addressing all of you, surely from this period of 10 months, This is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except the convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never, never, ever in all things. Never, never give in. Everything in you says, stop running. Your heart is about to burst. Your lungs feel about to explode. Your legs feel like jello. Your eyes are just, there's like salt coming out. I've been just weeping as you've been running, whatever it may be, right? It's just, oh, everything's going. And you are undone. And Paul's word is never stop. Run the race as if to win the prize. Never Never, ever give in. Never give in. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently, it's important word verbiage right there, the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. I remember being in junior high and the pastor one time, the pastor looked at me and said, you have more power in your pinky than the enemy as a whole has. And I live in that. I live in that. When I, when I see myself with this apparent enemy coming at me on all sides, I just do this. <laughs> apparent might of the enemy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe it? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe it? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe it? Never, never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. You must fight. You must fight against being the boring Sunday Christian. Because the world will lead you to that. Your friends and your parents 
not the Blonnets, but other parents <laughs> may lead you to that. Because they say, don't be weird. Don't be crazy. Don't be fanatical. My, my, my the funniest thing that I love is when people say, is Wesley a cult? <laughs> I don't know, are we? Because we're believing God to raise the dead and to heal and do miracles and do signs and wonders in our midst because he loves us. If that's cultish to you, then I'm best we are. I don't think that we are. We just love Jesus. Don't go tell people we're a cult. <laughs> you can tell Andy that when he comes. There's a special Kool-Aid in the back, Andy, just for you. All right, number five. Number five, don't sweat the small stuff. This is important. Don't sweat the small stuff. There are so many things that cause us unneeded stress in life. I mean, honestly, and this would be hard for you to hear, but honestly, the test that you take, I mean, I, mean I know you feel like they're just this huge weight, but trust me, y'all, they're just not important. You're not going to, when you get to heaven, God's not going to go, mm, I see that C minus in that class. Mm-mm-mm. It's like hell for you, buddy. Right? Nothing like that's happening. For those of you who are living this place of, of grades, I know I've talked to some of you, you're just, you feel like you're dying. Some of you are failing classes. You know what? This too shall pass. Honestly, I made a 45 in my English lit class my freshman year of college. It was awesome. I, I, t- I got the test, I looked at it, and I laughed. Just laughed at it, and I walked it up. I said, here you go. Completely blank piece of paper. It was great. This too shall pass. Honestly, don't sweat the small stuff. We, um, I forget her name. Randall could probably tell me, but it was a lady in the church um, who got it. They had like a little, um, it's called this marriage link. It was just people, those are who are married and come together, and they talk about their marriages to make them better. I don't know. It was a great night. I really loved being there with my wife. It was a wonderful moment. Um, but uh, this lady got up and she basically shared her story, she and her husband. And, and their story was basically, was, I, I can't remember all the specifics, but basically it was something like this. Either right before or right after they got married, I think it was right after they got married, they were driving on the road together uh, and at night, and a drunk driver crossed over and hit them head on. And uh, he was okay uh, but she had some serious, serious problems. Um, and that was like 25, 30 years ago, something like that. And, and literally, I think it's like every year, she's had at least one surgery every year for the last 30 years. Um, like serious, serious surgery and uh, just stuff. I mean, she can't live a normal life, and she walks this really bad limp and, and a cane, all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and she had to share her story and just... She was in pain sharing her story, you know, and she and her husband, they're just laughing about life. And, and the thing that she said, and I'm telling you this because I remember it just, I've heard this said before, but it shook me when she said it. She said, you know, one of the things that we learned in this is that we just don't sweat the small stuff. Because when you come face to face with the eternal, such as death, it puts everything in perspective. And everything else is just like water off a duck's back. Right? It just rolls right off. And the thing that you have to get yourself to is, is that you are so awakened. This is important. That you live your life so, so awakened to the eternal that the temporary just doesn't weigh you down. doesn't mean life's easy, right? It doesn't mean that it's like, oh, yeah, my, my dad just died. Woo, I'm fine. You know, it doesn't mean that, right? Just, but it means in the moment of difficulty, in the moment that you realize, you know, this too shall pass. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm not going to let this test or this, this relationship over here that seemingly is just rocking me to the core and I can't get out of bed in the morning because I'm just like in a fetal position in tears. Like this, this shall pass, Right? I'm not saying it to be, I'm not trying to, to be rude or, or trying to be insensitive, but sometimes, honestly, y'all, you just need to get over it. Get over yourself. Get over the things that aren't eternal. I don't care if you've got people over here breathing down your neck. 
He just turned around and looked at him and said, back off. <laughs> you know, seriously. And as you live your life with Jesus, don't sweat the small stuff. Live your life with eternal vision of what's going on, of how you're living your life. So what? We lost 30-something thousand dollars on the sale of our house. So what? It's just money, right? You heard the old thing. You can't, you don't, there's no U-Haul behind you in the way to heaven. It's just money. So if we eat macaroni and cheese for the next three years, great. At least we have macaroni and cheese, right? Awesome. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Things are going to be fine. Don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, this is one of my stories about that. Is when I came back from India the second time I went. And, of course, you know, we've heard tell stories of India. Those of you have been to India know it's a difficult place, right? You see things that are just overwhelming, and it's just like all of a sudden reality comes to you. And you see this guy over here, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, literally, perspective is created immediately. And I'll never forget, I think I've told this story before, but I'd say it again because it's, it's my, my, my mental understanding and perspective. But I came back from being in India, seeing this overwhelming stuff in my heart and my head and my emotions, all stuff just could not handle I get off the plane, and my buddy sees me like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're home. And I'm thinking, wow, that's so great. He's actually excited to see me. He's like, oh, my gosh, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, me and, me and my, my girlfriend, we're really struggling again. And I just couldn't wait to get home. I was dying without you being here to, to help me and figure out what to do in this. And my first reaction, my first instinct was to kick him in the nuts. I mean, honestly, <laughs> because I just thought to myself, I mean, seriously, get over it, dude. This is so unimportant. I know it feels important, but it's not. I didn't, just so you know. I didn't. That was my first sense. I really want to go, shut it, you know, whatever. But I, I didn't do it. I really wanted to. I wish I had with the story better, wouldn't it? But I'm gonna say, from now on, I'm going to say that I did. Um, is that okay with you all? Is that okay with you all? Okay. All right. So don't sweat the small stuff. And number six is this. Enjoy life. Seriously, y'all, enjoy life. You know, I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm like, uh, 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 but here's the deal. There is nothing more exciting, there's nothing more exciting than living a life of passionate relationship with a living God who calls you every day to do something outrageous and extraordinary. And let me tell you, that is a life full of enjoyment. Yes, there are moments of life where you, it's the mundane and the struggles and the difficulties and that kind of stuff, but live your life. Live your life in pursuit of enjoyment because God created the world to be enjoyed. Travel. Have relationships. You know, enjoy your friends, right? Do crazy stuff. I mean, seriously, go jump out of airplanes and swim with piranhas and run with the bulls. You know, I don't care. You know, it's like, you know, go and, and, and base jump. I mean, how great. You're just close to death. It's so exciting. I mean, I mean seriously, enjoy life. Get out of the ordinary don't sit at home Monday through Sunday at 8 o'clock and just watch television or, or, or do something else boring like that, you know? I mean, there are some shows that are pretty extraordinary, you know? You can, but you got TiVo. Watch them on your boring, you know, your other time. I don't know. But it's like, but seriously, enjoy life. Love much. Live outrageously. And serve God wholeheartedly. Seriously, enjoy life. Don't get done and look back and say, is that all that I did? Seriously, I know lots of boring people in the world. It is not an option for you. Okay? It's not an option. It's not an option. I'm looking around, everybody. When I look at you, give me the nod. Lie to me at least. Right? <laughs> enjoy life. All right. That's it. made my wife cry, you jerks. 
All right. Um, so here are a couple of questions. Number one, do you know that I love you all? Honestly, some of you are like, you don't even know me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, you're here, you're part of the family. Um, you are loved, honestly. Um, two, are you willing to give it all? Honestly, y'all. I want you to give it away. Give all that you have. Honor, honor our time here by doing that. Uh, I mean, our, our, our being here, literally, I said something about a vapor earlier. It literally is just a vapor. I mean, it really is. Y'all, y'all will love us forever, but, um, and we'll love y'all forever, but, um, at least we hope y'all love us, um, but, but literally, I mean, it's just a vapor. And, and I want you to, to honor um, Jesus um, by giving it all. And um, I want you to do that. All right. Well, I want you to stand with me. And band, y'all can go ahead and come forward. Um, I'm going to do something just real quick for y'all. Thanks, Marshall. Um, Um, let's just stand before the Lord for a, few, for a minute or so. And as, I was, um, as we were sitting here in worship tonight, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do? And uh, I would love to, excuse me, I can't stand up, I'm drunk. Um, I would love to... Uh, it's like, Lord, I'll have to end in a bang, right? And, uh, Shazam, you know. But, uh, but what I do believe God wants to do tonight is this. I, I do believe that, um, that he wants to give you something. I believe he wants, uh, well, I, I talked with, um, with, I know, with Marshall and, and Kanegi about the Elijah, Elisha, uh, picture the story. Um, if you don't know it, just the brief synopsis is that Elijah was getting ready to die. And everybody knew it, and Elisha knew it. Elisha was kind of a servant, and, um, and Elijah kept on like trying to get him to go away. Just go away, go away. He's like, no, I'm going to go with you until until either you die or you're taken up. And it's like, okay. And so finally, at the end, you know, he saw that he wasn't going to go anywhere and was going to honor his, his his desire and said, "What do you want from me?" And then Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you have. I want twice as much as you have. And Elijah said, that's a difficult request, but if you will stay with me till the end, you will get that. And so we know from the scripture that um, some sort of chariot came down from heaven and whisked, him away, whisked Elijah, Elijah away. And Elisha walked over and took up his cloak, his, his little, basically his jacket-type mantle, and took it over and rolled it up and, and said, if you, basically, if you'll, if you'll be with me, then cause this water to part when I put this cloak in the river. And he put it in the river and the water spread. It was a sign to Elisha that he would have what he asked for, a double portion and if you read through, you actually find that Elisha did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. It's pretty cool. And so let me say this to you. If you do not surpass me in your ability, in your walk with Jesus, then you've wasted my time. You don't look up to me. You look beyond me and say, my, I'm going to surpass you. Because God wants to do that in you. Every person under you then should surpass me and then surpass you and make it up here. Don't waste my time. Don't make my investment be given in vain. 
you can go ahead and begin to play whatever song you're going to play, Matt. And I'm gonna, we're going to sit here, and I want you to just close your eyes before the Lord, and I want you to stand. And I want you to search your heart real quick and say, God, am I willing to have a double portion? Am I really willing to surpass just the small things that Steve has done? I want you to get before the Lord and be real with him for a second. Then if you're willing and you're ready for that to happen, then I want you to put your hands as high as you possibly can in the air. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do something in you. He's never done that. I'm going to ask him to, I'm going to, ask him to give you everything that he's got. you need to be willing and ready to receive and to be used. If you're not, then keep your hands down. This isn't cheap. This is not something cheap. This is something real and authentic. This is not cheap grace. that you would come in the strong name of Jesus. And I'm asking for a double portion for every single person in this room, God. I'm asking for twice of what you've given me and more. That, God, that they would all surpass me, Jesus. And they would surpass me quickly. And that, God, that you would use them to bring the kingdom here in this place and in this world, God. God, I pray and ask that you would place a fearlessness in them, God that says, I don't care what the world throws at me. I will be used of God and I will desire to be used. Holy Spirit, would you come now? I'm asking for divine authority, God, to give this out, Jesus. I'm asking God that you would transfer this over to them, God. Now, in the name of Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. More of you, more of you, Jesus. More of you, all that you've got now, God, I'm asking that you would overwhelm them. Now, Jesus, now, Jesus. Now, Jesus, now, Lord, baptize them afresh and anew, God. Baptize baptize what they've never known, God, in the fullness that you have for them, Jesus. Now, God, now, 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 now. Fire from heaven, Lord, that they fall on their hearts, God. They be inflamed with passion and longing for you, Jesus. They could not get enough of you, God. Give them a thirst, God. They can never be quenched except by you, God. Change them tonight, Jesus. Every single person in this room, Jesus. Change them, Jesus. Please do this, God. Jesus, please do this, God, and your great love for them, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. As we go into worship, I want to continue. Ask you to continue with the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, some will be over here on the side, over here, one of the staff members come grab us. We will pray for you. But I, I want to ask you tonight, this is this time, thank you for honoring me, but please give yourself to Jesus tonight. I'm just a servant. I, I'm, I want him to increase. I will decrease. Go to him tonight. If you want us to pray for you, I'm going to take, I'm going to take you to him. This is not about me. It's about Jesus.
Sad. 